0: So today for our sermon uh, I decided to pick a topic that is a topic that I would say the whole world is really interested in, that really the whole world is relentlessly pursuing this theme, this topic that we're going to talk about. It's not just something that, that the church is interested that we talk about, uh, something we're interested in talking about, but the whole world is consumed with this uh, relentless desire to experience what we're going to talk about, and what we're going to talk about is the subject of love, right? Uh, you know it's sort of obvious and plain and you see it all around us in our world in our culture again this isn't just some sort of Christian theme where hey we like to talk about love and surely we do we love to talk about it love is important it runs throughout scripture but this is something that even the non-Christian world sort of all around us uh, they're very interested in right they are seeking after it just just you know take a look at some of the songs I'm not endorsing secular songs and so forth some are good some are bad Uh, but just sort of take a look and, and take take note and you know probably half of them are about this subject about love, or maybe it's someone's broken heart as a result of you know them being you know dumped by their loved one, or whatever it might be. It's sort of love is just central. If you just sort of turn on the radio, or you know turn on the TV, or you know go to Netflix and watch some shows, or look at some movies, and again it's sort of it's everywhere. It, it's sort of present in everything. You know even if it's sort of a, you know a movie that isn't a romantic comedy and the main plot is love, even if it's sort of some manly action film, there's probably still this plot that runs throughout it, some sort of love interest, right, and that's just the reality, that sort of everywhere we look, people are interested in love, right, it's just, that's the way it is, and there's good reason for it, in fact, the, the reality is, we have been made for love. It's just sort of the way God fashioned us. It's the way he made us. It's the way we're just naturally wired. We are made to love others, and we are made to be loved by others, right? So it's no surprise that not just the church, but people all over are looking for love, right? Uh, They are seeking after it. But the reality is, while love between husband and wife or parents and children, all different forms of love, and, and, you know, it's great. Have friends. Love them right uh... you know have your spouse love your spouse love your kids but but as wonderful as that love is and 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 it is great and glorious Really, there is one that is the fundamental love that God has really truly wired us for, and it is the love of God. It is for us to love God and God's love for us to experience that love, right? And so the world all around us is sort of seeking for love, this sort of something within them that says, I need this. There is this deep, profound craving to experience love, to love and be loved, right? And they might love others and be loved by others, but, but that still doesn't quite satisfy this most profound, most basic craving for love, which is really a craving for the love of God, to experience that love of God and to in turn as well love God. And so even as people go searching and searching and looking for love and even finding it in certain ways, right, they don't experience that true love except unless they turn toward the Lord and experience it in Him because that true fundamental love that we have been made for and wired for is that love of God. God made us to be in relationship with Him and to be in a loving relationship with Him. Right? Going all the way back to, to creation, to Adam, to Eve, it's just the way that God has made man, the way he, he has made woman to be in relationship with Him, experience love from God and in turn to love God as well. And nothing will truly satisfied that deep profound craving other than God's love experiencing it and loving him in turn and so i want to sort of take a look at scripture right, and talk about, well, this love of God, right? We're going to talk about God's love, God's love for us, and sort of what does Scripture say about this, this topic of love that everybody's interested in? Now, maybe the world around us isn't interested in love from the perspective of God's love, but nonetheless, it is really what they're seeking after, whether they know it or not. And so this matter of God's love, what does the Bible say? What does the Old Testament say? What does the New Testament say? What does Scripture say about God's love and that's what we're gonna do we're gonna take a look at Scripture and look at God's love and really sort of flesh this out this profound love that we have been made for and we're gonna turn first you can flip there in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 and we're gonna look at verses 14 through 19 so it's Ephesians 3 verses 14 through 19 and I'll read it for us and it's Paul writing here of course to the Ephesian church and here's what he says To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to, to the measure of all the fullness of God. Right, so what is Paul saying here? There's a lot in here, but I sort of want to focus on, on something in particular. What, what Paul is saying here to these Ephesian Christians is that he has this real desire and yearning sort of as sort of a shepherd of, of this church, right, as sort of a, a pastor, a shepherd of this church, sort of the Ephesian Christian, sort of spiritual children of his. He has this desire and longing for them, right? And he even brings it before the Lord in prayer. He says, this is really, this is my prayer for you, for you Ephesian Christians, and what is it for them to really understand Understand, as he puts it to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He wants them to really fully understand and appreciate the love of Christ, the love of God. The, the sort of the unfathomable, just incredible, great extent, unbelievable extent of of the love of Christ, right? It's sort of one thing to, to, you know, hear about it in a little bit of, you know, a sermon, a message, you know, maybe you read a little scripture, you understand it to some extent, but what Paul's saying is, hey, I want you guys to really truly have this full sense of the love of God, to be utterly blown away by it, to really grasp it, to really understand. This isn't just some sort of like regular old ordinary love. This isn't sort of like a love that you have for your spouse or your kids or they have for you. This is just the total, complete blow you away immeasurable love of God. And he wants them to fully, truly grasp it, understand it, and sort of understanding it, the natural response is just to sort of be awestruck, to be blown away by this incredible love of God. And not just does he want them to grasp it, to understand it, but he wants them to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And here, no certainly has sort of that typical scriptural uh, fuller, deeper meaning of no. It's not just sort of like a head knowledge, right, to grasp it, as he says before. And it's not like he's just reiterating that. I want you to know it. I want you to sort of Cognitively to understand this. This is sort of a deeper kind of know in the sense of experience. Yes, to understand it, but more profoundly than that, not just to understand it, but to truly know it, that is, experience it, right? He wants for these Christians, these spiritual children of his, to really grasp the love of God, the love of Christ, and to experience it, to perceive it, to feel it, to As as people who stand in this wondrous, glorious love of God, he wants them to perceive that and experience it and just soak it up and and delight in that. This is sort of his desire as a shepherd for his spiritual children. And I sort of want to to echo what Paul is saying here. And this is my desire for all of us, right, for us to to really grasp, not just sort of in some small way and kind of catch a little bit of a glimpse of what the love of God is, but to really fully grasp its extent, right, how wide, how long, how high how deep right is the love of Christ right to truly fully get it and just be utterly blown away by God and His love, by His character, His loving character. And not just to to understand it in our heads, but to really feel it, to perceive it, to experience it as we stand in the love of God, just to sort of bask in it and just be in awe of it and, and delight in it. That is my desire for us, to really understand it and just experience it because it is such a gift from God to stand in His love and experience that. But I want to talk a little bit more about this, right? But Paul makes it clear that this love of God, it's just sort of immeasurable. It's just unbelievable, unfathomable, right? It surpasses knowledge, as he says, right? It's so great. Well, okay, let's flesh this out. How great, right? And sort of in a tangible way, how do we see how great and wondrous this love of God is? Uh, and we see this, right? John writes about it. And this is 1 John. I want us to turn to our next passage here. This is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, and he kind of addresses this matter here. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so I want to pause there just just for the time being, right? Uh, Really, love is just such a fundamental attribute of God that the way John even describes it here, it's not like God is loving. It's sort of like that doesn't doesn't do justice to just how fundamental love is to the very character of God. And so the way he even words it is, God is love. It's such a fundamental attribute of his, right? That just thrown through, it is the character of God. He is a loving God that's just who he is and he goes on this is how god showed his love among us so he tells us god is love it's just sort of it cuts to the core of his character it's who god is you want to know who he is well he's love he's loving and now uh, now john here is going to say well let me show you this love of god let me tell you how he has shown it and this is what he said this is how god showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, right? This is sort of this tangible manifestation of of the love of God, right? We really get to see in action the love of God and perceive just how great, just how wondrous it is. And John tells us here how we see that love of God in action, and it's God sending his son, right? God the son coming to this earth right? Becoming one of us, becoming a man, uh, but as if that's not enough to ultimately humble himself to sort of the lowest place imaginable, what does he do? He goes to a cross. And it's not just any old regular death on a cross, which is miserable enough, uh, but on the cross, what does he do? Well, he takes our place. He takes our sin. He takes the punishment we rightfully deserve, right? He takes the wrath of God that should fall upon you. It should fall upon me. We rightfully deserve it. We're sinners. But, of course, God loves us. And so, right, he sends his son to go and take our place, right? And this costs him immeasurably, right? It costs him his son, his own life, right? But he goes, the son takes our place, takes our sin, takes our punishment, so that it's paid for. It's done. We now don't have to pay for it if only we repent and trust in him, right? That's the love of God, to go and do that, right? This is, of course, we think of the the forgiveness we have in Christ, the life we have in him, free for us, but at great cost to God, at great cost to Christ, right? He has done this for us, and it's in love. He has done this wondrous thing, taking our place, taking our sin, taking our punishment, because he loves us, even though we're wretched, We're in rebellion toward the Lord. We're steeped in sin. This is sort of the state of mankind, right? We've chosen to rebel against the Lord. We are these wicked, vile creatures. We don't like to hear that, but it's the truth of Scripture. And yet, even in spite of that, God says, I love you. And I love you so wondrously that, hey, I'm going to send my son, and he's going to die for you so that you can be restored to me. So you can now experience my love wondrously so for all eternity. Dwell with me forever and ever and ever. Have eternal life in me. That is the love of God. And so we see it. It's not just something that we can talk about And Scripture mentions it, but we see it very tangibly through the actions of God. And this isn't just sort of something that we see in, in the New Testament, right? I think sometimes people look at the Old Testament and the New, and they feel like there's some sort of discontinuity here. Sometimes there's this perception of like, well, God in the Old Testament, he seems like awfully harsh. And then we get to the New Testament. Uh, you know, Old Testament is a lot more punishment, judgment, that sort of a thing. This is often the perception. And then the New Testament, and we get a lot more of that love, and everything's warm and fuzzy, right? I'd say there really isn't a, a discontinuity. I sort of see how sometimes people see that, but but really this this idea of the love of God and just the profound love of God that it's fundamental to his character, it runs throughout Scripture. There isn't this discontinuity and break where it's like the old doesn't seem to flow into the new. Surely it does. And we can turn to the Old Testament and see the love of God as well. And so I want to turn to to Exodus chapter 34, and I'm going to read for us verses 4 through 7. And this is where uh, God sort of passes by Moses and, and really declares sort of quickly, in a few lines, his character, sort of in a nutshell. So this is Exodus 34, verses 4 through 7. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets, like the first ones, and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, right? This is the character of God. Again, it's not just sort of like, oh, you see this in in the New Testament. This is the Old Testament as well. We see the character of God here as he declares it. He is abounding in love. It's just who God is, right? God is love, as John states it right here. He is abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Right, We see it. it's not just like, oh, well, okay, Steve, you sort of pulled out this one passage in Exodus that speaks of the love of God there. You know, it's all throughout, again, not just the New Testament, but the Old as well. We can turn to the Psalms. I just picked one verse here, but, but we see this, uh, this, this phrase here all throughout the Psalms that I'm going to read here. This is Psalm 136, verse 1, and it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever, right? God is this wondrous, loving God, and his love is an enduring love. It endures forever. This is just who God is and the way that he operates. And again, it's not like this is just one place in the Psalms. It is Everywhere in the Psalms. It's just, it runs throughout all of Scripture that this is who God is. You want to know the character of God. Certainly, there are all sorts of other attributes of God that we can talk about, but sort of fundamental to his character is that he is loving. He is love. He is a loving God. And we see that throughout. You can even just sort of think through like the whole story of human history. Think through the story of the Bible, even going back to the beginning. Just the very act of creation is a wondrous act of love. He, he doesn't have to create us. He doesn't have have to bring us into existence and yet lovingly he does Right? He brings man into existence and creates this whole wondrous, beautiful universe. And, and even think about it just sort of further along the lines of the, the love of God and his expression of that. What role does he give to man, Right, showing God's love toward mankind? What role does he give to man in, in all of this creation? It's not some sort of lowly role in the created order. But no, he lovingly gives man the chief role and position uh, within the earthly creation. Man is, is the ruler, the authority, certainly under the authority of God of course but the authority the human earthly authority over the earthly creation that's the role God has given to man and and what a, a loving gift from God you can sort of continue throughout history you know whether you want to think of Israel and sort of their story whether it's God acting in love toward his people Israel not forgetting about them while they're there in bondage in Egypt but lovingly what does he do he rescues them out of that enslavement, right, and he leads them into the promised land, and he conquers the people of Canaan before the Israelites, that they might, right, take possession of the land. And all of this is God just acting in a loving way toward His people. And even if you sort of continue on with the story of Israel, and you know, sort of what happens time and time again, if you think of Israel, is they sort of forget the Lord, they, you know, they wind up acting in, in rebellion toward God. They go after all sorts of other false gods, you know, Baal, you name it. They go after all those other Canaanite deities and worship them and God is still gracious and loving toward them and again it's not to say that he doesn't punish them for their disobedience, he does, but yet he is still enduring in love toward them, right, even as he punishes, even as he sends them into exile, yet he is loving and gracious and he says in love I will still preserve a remnant and then I'll bring you back into the land, right, and so we see it just sort of running throughout history, right, ultimately even from there if you continue the story, ultimately it leads to Christ and, and the love of God that we see in, in Christ and, and of course his atoning sacrifice for us and it just continues on through the story into eternity this is just how God operates and we see it it's just fundamental to his character and if that's part of his character that's naturally what he will live out in the way he will operate toward mankind he is a God of love he is loving it goes to the core of his character and he just lives that out time and again toward mankind But I want to read one more passage for us here in Romans. It's it's chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Because at this point, you could look at this and say, you know, this is so wondrous and and glorious, the love of God, that God would love man, right? Even in spite of our wretchedness, our sinfulness, that that he'd send his son to suffer, to die for us, to rescue us, right, and lead us back to himself. And we see him acting in love all over the place throughout scripture. It's just fundamental to his character. But One could then sort of wonder, you know, well, you know, is this love... Uh, sort of am I assured of this love in in an enduring way or am I in the love of God now but hey what does tomorrow mean you know tomorrow will I not be standing in the love of God or the day after that or the day after that right and and certainly Paul here in Romans chapter 8 answers that question And of course, right, what we're going to see is that love is enduring, even as we saw in in Psalm 136, his love endures forever. But certainly Paul here is going to to reiterate and make this quite clear that, right, for those of us who are in Christ, there's no way that we can be separated from the love of God. And so let me read it for us. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 31 is where I'll begin, read through to 39. And here's what it says. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and This is what Paul's saying here. You know, you can talk about the wondrous love of God, but one could still say, well, will I always stand in that love, or will it somehow be taken away from me? Can I somehow be separated from that love? And Paul says, no, you don't have to worry about that, right? For those of us who are in Christ, here's what he says, right? He says, right, I'm convinced. There's no doubt he knows it for sure, and Scripture's clear. He says, I'm convinced, basically, that nothing can separate us, neither death nor life. Angels, demons, present, future, nor any powers, height, depth, you name it, nothing in creation, right, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what a great uh, comfort that is, that it's not just that, hey, right now at present, well, we stand in the love of God, in this wondrous, glorious love, the love that, that motivated God to send his son to suffer and die for us. But then there's this questionable: what does the future hold, right? That's not our, our condition, our situation, but there's a, a great comfort knowing that we will forever... Those of us in Christ will forever stand in the love of God. We cannot be separated from his love, but forever and ever and ever and ever through all of eternity we'll stand in that wondrous, glorious love of God. And what a great joy that is. What a great comfort that is, right? And now as they sort of move into an application, right, we want to sort of understand, well, who who God is, what his character is, that he's a loving God, and sort of what this means for us, you know, and and as we've shown, you know, how he has shown his love for us, and and this runs throughout all of scripture, and that that love of God cannot be taken from us, but then sort of naturally we always sort of ask, well, so what, you know, what's the application, how do I apply this to my life. And often the application in in the sermons that that I preach might be sort of something that we go and we do. Today, I don't want it to be some sort of task in that sense, but rather I want it to be really just pondering the love of God. Just as Paul sort of makes mention of in, in that letter to the Ephesian church, right? He just wants those followers of Christ to really fully grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I just want us to just ponder the love of god just be in awe of him and his love for us that he was willing to suffer and die for us just ponder that be in awe and just celebrate it that's all it's not like a go and do this and do that but just ponder the love of god celebrate it delight in it rejoice in it and really just take the time to bask in god's love this love that god promises we will experience for all of eternity. It cannot be taken from us, right? We cannot have that stolen from us in any way. It is a promise. It is enduring. We stand in this wondrous, glorious love of God, and it's a gift. And I think all too often we sort of overlook it. We, we know it. We know that we're loved by God, but we don't just bask in the love of God and just experience it and just find great delight and joy in that fact, in that love of God, that we are his We're his children, we belong to him, and he loves us, and wondrously, dearly so. And we ought to just enjoy that love of God, and love him in return, and just soak it up and bask in his love for all eternity, ultimately to his glory. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, what what a wondrous God you are. You are love, as John says. You are love. It, it just goes to the core of your divine character, and we are just in awe of you. Lord, may we, as Paul desires to see for all, of, all followers of you, Lord Jesus, he desires to see and you desire for us to truly grasp the extent of your love. All too often, we sort of have a little glimpse of it, but we fail to fully perceive it, fail to fully grasp it, and just marvel at the immeasurable extent of your love. And may we ponder it this day, this week, and and forever, Lord. May we always be pondering your love and just having a sense of awe over the greatness, the unfathomable nature of your love, such that you would suffer and die for us. May that blow our minds. May we not just intellectually ponder your love, but may we truly know it, experience it, perceive it. May we just bask in the wondrous glory of your love, just soaking it up day after day and delighting in it, rejoicing in it, celebrating in it. Ultimately, Lord, for your glory, in your name we pray. Amen.